It is good to have you with us today as we worship together and as we praise God and as we come to his word just to hear from him this morning. Um, I want to tell you about a couple things that we have out in the foyer for you today that, that haven't been out there um, unless you saw them coming in this morning. And that is that we have three, uh, three gospel tracks uh, that we want you to, to take and to give away. Now, there are not enough for all of you to take big handfuls of them, but, but if you want to take two or three or four or five and then give them away, uh, that would be great as we move in toward Easter, because Easter cometh very quickly. It would be here before we know it, uh, first Sunday of April. And, and so we're, we are now about one, two, three, four, five Sundays away, and then we'll be at Easter. So uh, we want you to be telling people about Jesus Christ and inviting them to come. We have a special thing that we're going to be doing during the month of March uh, that we'll tell you about during the month of March uh, to, to give out special invitations. But these are great things. Uh, one, uh, these are all ones that we have had before in the past uh, that you can use. Who is Jesus? It's kind of a, a top ten list of of, um, or not, that's just who is Jesus. It just talks about who he is and uh, why we should know him. The second one is by John Piper. It's a top 10 list of, of reasons Jesus came to die, kind of a 10 to 1 type of thing. And then the third one is by Nax Lakato, uh, based on his book 316, uh, The Numbers of Hope. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And in there, you're going to be sharing with them four simple truths. Number one, God loves us. Number two, so he gave to us. God loves us so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to be our savior. We didn't deserve it. But he said, I want to give you this. I want to give you this gift. And number three is we believe. We can't receive that gift unless we believe. Unless we believe who Jesus Christ is. Unless we believe that we don't deserve it, but that we can receive it as a free gift. And number four, we live. God loves, God gave, we believe. And then we live, we live, not just in this life, but for eternity. That's the message of the gospel. And this morning, if you have never received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you have never come to that place where you say, I believe, I believe to the point that I will trust Jesus to be my Savior. I will believe that God loved me so much even when I was as unlovable as I am right now. Even when I was broken as much as I am right now that he still sent Jesus to die for me. If we'll believe that, then we can live. We confess our sins. We say, God, I'm undeserving of this, but would you please forgive my sins through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross? And would you let me live for eternity, even as Jesus rose from the dead after he'd gone to the cross to pay for my sins? Would you give me that type of eternal life? And his answer is, Yes, a resounding yes. It is always a yes. And so give these out 
Um, we are, we're asking you to, to make gospel conversations, to just have them in your everyday lifestyle. Sometimes you'll go out purposely just for that reason. Sometimes you will just have that because it comes up. It'll come up in a story. It'll come up uh, in, in, in conversation with friends. It will come up at work. And just have a gospel conversation with them. You can give them one of these tracks. You can give them one of our True Life uh, cards uh, that are also there in the foyer and just hand them to them and say, would you just read this and, and let God speak to your heart? And that becomes a gospel conversation. Remember, our goal is to have 10,000 of those gospel conversations. That's a lot of conversations, isn't it? But think about how many conversations you have about stuff that doesn't mean anything. We have all kinds of conversations every day. Some of them are very short. And some of them are a little longer. And over a period of time, over six, five to seven years, we want to have those 10,000 gospel conversations. And we're on our way. We're, over, we're, we're well over 100 now and, uh, in just one month. And so we're expecting that we will pass that 10,000 gospel conversations uh, in that period of time. And out of that, we expect to see at least 1,000 people come to know Jesus Christ and have a gospel story to have their own story at that point. So we invite you to give those away. You can find them in the, in the, the foyer on that little table that's over there on the corner toward, uh, toward that side door, the one that goes south, that south end. For those of you who aren't sure how to find that, I don't know how to tell you that, except go out and turn right, okay? There you go. Let's have a word of prayer as we come to God's word now. Heavenly Father, we come before you. I just want to tell you how much we love you and adore you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be able just to sing praises to your name and to know that you hear us and that you respond positively. That you, adore, that you love that adoration because you are the only one who is worthy of it. We praise you for our, your son, Jesus Christ who was willing to come into our world and go to the cross and die in our place, become our sin, and then to pay the penalty for our sin with his precious blood, and then to defeat sin and death and to be raised again to new life. Father, we praise you for Jesus, who makes all things possible. And now, Father, we pray that your spirit your blessed Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, that he would use your word to bring conviction where we need it, to bring hope where we are so desperate for it, to give us, to give us insight into what you want to do in our hearts and lives, even this morning and throughout this week. And Father, we're going to give you praise for your word to us today. We pray these things in Jesus' most precious and holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. We are, we are in the midst of our, of our, of our study of Immerse, uh, the Reader's Bible. We are, we are simply reading through that in these eight weeks, and today we are um, in our week number four, so we are, um, uh, we are getting close, to our week number three rather, we're getting close to the midpoint of our study. Uh, so we're asking you to read the gospel of, of, the, of the New Testament, rather the, the New Testament, through with us in these eight weeks. And for some of you are saying, wow, that's a lot of reading. I know it is. Um, it's about half an hour a day. And so for some of you, you're saying, 
guy, this is something that's becoming kind of intense, but it's kind of cool. And you're starting to look and say, wow, we're, we're like, you know, getting toward the middle of, of the New Testament already. And, and it hasn't killed any of us yet. And I don't suspect that it will. And you're starting to get a, a good glimpse of what it is. And then we ask you to be a part of a, of a growth group. Um, and uh, those are unfortunately right now because of COVID, uh, they are online and uh, they're on Zoom meetings. And so there are five of them during the week. Um, so you can find one almost at some point that you could get into. They're on Monday evening, Tuesday evening, and on Thursday evening. They are on Thursday morning as well, and they are on Sunday afternoon. So the last one for this week, for, for this past week, is the one at 2.30. Uh, you can find that in our, in our, in our ministry guide, the, the links to get there. If you have not been in one yet, I uh, encourage you to, to find one and, and get in that. Um, and if you need some help doing that, Contact the church office, and we'd be glad to do that. So this month, or these two, these, these two months, in February and March, I told you I am, I am going to share from God's Word uh, from one passage in, in that reading for that week. Okay, so you have five times a week that you're asked to read. Uh, and um, and I, so I've picked out eight different passages all through the New Testament. And today we are, we are talking about um, Messiah, immersing ourselves in God's Word. And our study today uh, from God's Word is a course, a crash course on giving. And so we're looking at, because we're kind of powering through the New Testament, there's not time to, to unpack all of these passages and all, the, all of the New Testament in eight weeks and, and have it just not overwhelm us and stay here for, for eight or ten hours on Sunday uh, with me preaching to you because you wouldn't want to do that. Um, I might want to try that, but you wouldn't want to do that. And so we're going to, I just, I went through and, and, and came up with, with eight passages that kind of give us these crash courses on what the New Testament is about and how it impacts our lives. And so today we're talking about giving, a crash course on giving. We're in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, are our two primary passages of Scripture, and that if you're using our New Testament, uh, this, this particular New Testament is found on page 159, and, and that's on paragraph 7. That's because uh, this layout of the New Testament uh, is not the same layout as what we typically see. Uh, it is not in the same order. It's, it's, it's it's put together a little bit differently. All of, the, all of the 27 books are there. All of the verses are there. They're just in different order. Nor are there any chapter uh, numbers or verse numbers. And so if you're looking at this one, the only way you're going to find it is if I tell you what page it's on. Okay, if you got your Bible and it's not this one, then look, at, um, look, at, look up 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. If you don't know where 2 Corinthians is, you can either look in your, your, your index of your Bible or just find 1 Corinthians and it's the next one. Okay, so um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 is where we're at today. And, and so um, as, we, as we get to this, this subject of giving, some of you are saying, oh, golly, we're going to talk about giving again. We're talking about money. That's all we talk about. And we do talk about money, but it's not all we talk about. And we don't talk about it every Sunday in the sense that I don't preach about it every Sunday. And it's not the, it's not the subject of, of everything that we do. But we do know that God tells us that God, lo that God loves a cheerful giver. And so this morning, what we're looking at is chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, and that is, that is by far the, the most complete uh, dissertation, if you will, or our discussion about giving that we have in the New Testament. 
And that passage that God loves the cheerful giver kind of falls in the middle of that discussion. So we're going to be looking at, at the things preceding it a little bit and the things that come after it as well. Uh, but, uh, but it, you know, that, that passage is something that we, that, that phrase is something that we say a lot of times right before an offering, God loves a cheerful giver, and then we try to get you to be cheerful as you give. And, uh, and we're always successful at that, I'm pretty sure. So... Um, so today we're going to look at this subject, and, and over the years, um, I've, I've noticed that different churches have a completely different approach, or are varying different kinds of approaches when it comes to talking about giving. Um, there, are, there are churches that, that talk about money all the time. It doesn't just seem like they do, they really do. They talk about, they talk about money all the time, and many times what, what is said right before the offering, what the pastor says, the stories he tells, and those kinds of things right before the offering are even longer than his sermon that he's preaching that day. And so they'll, they'll go a long time. Other churches, on the other hand, uh, never talk about giving. I mean, never, never, never. They don't, they don't pass offering plates. Uh, they will have offering boxes uh, like what we have right now, but they will never say anything about them and they don't want to be accused of only talking about money. Most churches fall between those two extremes and I think that's kind of where we're at. Uh, we obviously don't shy away from what the Bible says about giving, but I don't preach long sermon series very often about giving, uh, but, but two or three times a year I will preach a sermon on givings particularly, and then if it comes up in, in passages that, I'm, that we're studying and, and in the course of what I'm preaching, um, and it's there, we'll talk about it as well. But um, so, uh, and, you know, that's where we're at today. And so I want you to, I want you to look at, at what, what uh, those passages have to say. And as we do, I want you to take out your sermon notes. And uh, while you're doing that, um, I want you, to, I want you to, to understand something that God wants us to grow in this discipline of giving. Last week, we talked about some priorities that we need to have. One of those is, is, a, is a priority of discipline in our spiritual lives. And this is one of those disciplines that we need to be growing in. It is, it is the discipline of growing in the grace of giving. And so today we want to do that. Now, why would you need to grow in that? Um, because um, because it, it helps you to understand that, that in your discipleship, when you give, it helps your spiritual growth. It benefits you as you give. It not only benefits you, it benefits others who are going to be the recipients of what we give. And then thirdly, it glorifies God when we give. And that's important as well. Um, and, and please don't misunderstand what I'm talking to you today. Uh, I'm not saying that we're not good givers, that you're not, a, that you're not a generous church, because you certainly are. You certainly are a generous church. Um, in, I just got a letter this week from our, our state director, uh, executive director, Dr. Uh, Johnson, and he's been with us many times, and, and we always look forward to him coming, and he sent me this letter this week, um, and, and in there he states uh, that for, 19, for 2020, for the year last year that ended 2020, that First Southern, that's us, that's you, that we, that we are ranked within the top 25 churches in per capita giving. That means that, that in our state of over 
probably almost 500 churches, Southern Baptist churches, that we're in the top 25 in terms of how much we give per capita, how many, how many people are members of our church, uh, and, and how much that equates to for each member. I don't know what that number is, actually. He didn't tell me what it is. But we are in the top 25 uh, in our state in per capita giving. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a remarkable thing. We are certainly not in the top 25 in size. There are some, some very large churches in our, in our convention, and so very seldom are we going to make the list in the top 25 just in numbers given. However, we do that sometimes. We did that in our Annie Armstrong, our Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong giving, and, uh, and certainly in our state giving. Many times we are in the top 25 in, in total number, but in this one, giving to the cooperative program, we are in the top 25 uh, for 2020. And I just want to commend you on that. That's a, that's a, that's a great thing that, that we find ourselves there. Um, but in the midst of all of that, that doesn't mean that we cannot grow a little more, that we cannot understand why giving is important and how to do that. And so that's what I want to look at today. Because, because as, I, as I look at, at these numbers, um, there's some interesting things that, that come to, to mind. One is that, um, that even though last year our church gave almost $71,000, to mission causes in total. There are still people who haven't heard. There are still people right here in Prescott Valley who are unsaved. And we still have to reach them. And I came across a number this week um, that, that was a that's, that's a, that's inter- interesting thing. And um, that is that, that, that most people give who are evangelical Christians, 2.5% of their income. 2.5% of their income. Now, people give who aren't Christians to even to charitable causes. And across the board, Americans give, in 2020, they gave 3.7% of their annual income to charitable causes. Now, that means that if we were to say that the average income is, and I picked a number, $50,000 a year, that most evangelical Christians then gave $1,250 in their offerings to the church. Or that, that Americans gave $1,850 of their incomes to charitable contributions to help other people. Now, that's, that's significant, and that's a neat thing. But if Christians who gave 2.5% to their church were to give 10%, instead of giving $1,250 a year, they would be giving $5,000 a year. That's four times as much. Imagine what the body of Christ could do if every believer tithed. If every evangelical believer tithed, we would be able to do at least four times as much as we're able to do today to reach our world for Jesus Christ. And so there is still room to grow. Now there's some things that I've learned over the years of of pastoring, and and one is that about the the giving habits of Christians. One is that that most Christians that I talk to about giving and and talk to me, um, they will say, they'll make some comment that says, I'm not really satisfied with how much I give. I'm not really happy with how much I'm giving. 
And, and so they're, they're kind of dealing with that. Uh, you know, they may already give a little, they may give a little or they may already give a lot, but whichever they're doing, they're saying, but I really would like to do more. I'm just not really too sure how to do that. So that's one thing that, I, that, I've, that I've come to realize over the years. The second thing that I realize about Christians' giving habits is that, that most people would give more than they currently do if they only were to reorganize their habits and their priorities a little bit. That if they would do some work on their priorities, that they would have more to give. Now, we see that happen when people go through Financial Peace University, which we offer, at least we did until COVID, and we're hopefully going to be able to, to get back to that here really soon. But that helps you to prioritize your, your finances and, and your life and, and begin to, to focus on those things that are important. And so as we do that, uh, we're able to do some things that we didn't think we'd be able to do before. And then the third thing that I see is that, that most people will give more uh, and will do it gra- gladly if they know what they're giving for. Why are they giving it? What's the money going to go for? And so, so that's an important thing. And as we look at that, um, that, that money that you gave, that $70,000 plus that we gave to mission causes last year, I want you to know that that kept over 5,000 missionaries, uh, who are international missionaries around our world, uh, touching lives for Jesus Christ, doing, uh, planting churches, doing gospel work, uh, feeding people, helping with health problems, uh, providing wells, and, and all of those kinds of things, you were able to, we were able to do that. At the same time, it supported over 5,000 uh, North American missionaries who are church planting missionaries primarily, right here in the United States. And we even see some of that money going to some of the pastors who have planted churches right here in Yavapai County uh, and, and Coconino County and, and right around us. We see some of that, that money being used in those ways and keeping those pastors on the, on the field. Um, and not to mention the, the money that goes to our state convention and the work that we do here in Arizona. And last year, especially in 2020, it helped to keep some church doors open, some of our Southern Baptist churches open, because it, it allowed those pastors to be able to do the work that they do. Because uh, unlike a lot of churches, uh, unlike our church, a lot of churches here in our state were hurting very badly because of, of the, the COVID shutdowns that took place. And so they were able to keep their doors open and to be able to keep their pastors uh, working that way. And so, so we, we see that the money we're giving is not going for nothing. It goes for tremendous things that we want to see done. Um, and so I don't want anybody leaving here feeling guilty uh, this morning about your giving. Um, that's not my point uh, because that doesn't help anyone. Instead, I hope that this morning that what we're going to talk about is going, to, is going to clear up maybe any doubts or questions or reservations that you have about giving and that it's going to inspire you uh, to become more generous uh, in your Christian walk. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, before we get into chapter 9, chapter 8, verse 7, this is what Paul said. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. So today we're going to look at what it means to excel in this gracious act of giving. And by that we're just going to simply look at three things. We're going to look at how to give, we're going to look at, at why to give, and then what to give. 
So kind of a how, why, and a what uh, this morning as we look at those things. And so we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and these verses uh, uh, in, in here... Paul is going to share with us um, these three attitudes that should drive our giving, uh, especially in the area of how to give. Uh, So first of all, Paul is going to tell us in the how to give, he says, give generously. He said, I want you to give generously. Now, I shared with you last year that one one of my personal core values is to be a generous giver. It also is one of our core values as First Southern. And this coming year, um, as, we, as we progress throughout the year, I'm going to be sharing a sermon series that I'm starting to put together on our core values. And one of our top core values is generosity. We are a generous church. You are generous givers. And, and I just want to applaud you for that. And so in verse 6 of chapter 9, here in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, uh, rather, chapter 9, verse 6, this is what we read. Paul says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a what? A generous crop. And so Paul's saying, he's echoing uh, what Solomon said all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Proverbs. And Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, give freely and become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. I said, oh, I don't think I like that verse necessarily. That's kind of a scary verse. And, but, I, but I want you to know that, that those, that principle is all through scripture. I don't have time to go through all of those verses that deal with that to help us to help you understand how important that truth is and that principle is, but the next verse is maybe the clearest verse in, in helping to explain it because in verse 25 um, there in Proverbs chapter 11, Paul uh, or Solomon said this, the generous will prosper, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, that sounds a lot more palatable, doesn't it? That if I am generous, not only will I, you know, be able to succeed and, and not to lose everything, but there's going to be refreshing that comes. Refreshing into the people that I give uh, to that are going to help touch their needs and their lives, but also I'm going to be fresh uh, because of that. Now, that scriptural principle uh, that you can count on as being true, um, and it, it is true, but there's also a paradox involved with that. I want you to understand the paradox. Because what a lot of people do is say, well, then I'm just going to give because I want to be refreshed. I'm going to give a lot because I want to, be, I want to, I want to make sure that I, that, I, that I become more wealthy, and I would like that. But what happens is, is that you, as you become more and more generous in your giving, that part of the equation isn't nearly as important. All of a sudden, you're giving because it's just enjoyable to give. You're giving because you're, that refreshing that you're receiving is something that you just want to be able to give to others. 
And so you just give, not thinking, well, I'm going to receive back a whole bunch. I'm just going to give because it's the right thing to do and because God blesses me and I feel good about that. And so you begin to do that. And, and so that is the paradox in this, the, the, that God promises these blessings, but then after a while, it is not the blessings that you give for. You just give because it's the right thing to do. There's an agnostic uh, writer by the name of A.J. Jacobs. And a few years ago, he wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically. And, and this is a guy who doesn't even know for sure if God exists, and he's agnostic. But he decided as a challenge that he would live according to, to the Bible in terms of how he would choose to live. And so he, he based it pretty much on the Old Testament, and he said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to live this way uh, because of his name, A.J. Jacobs. He comes from a Jewish background. So he said, okay, well, I'll just live according to the Old Testament primarily, but I'll also look at the New Testament somewhat. Uh, so he, he looked at all of these, all these commands, all these things that were to obey, uh, including he didn't shave for a year and all those kinds of things. And he tried as best he could to live according to what the Old Testament says and what the Bible tells us about how we should live. And, um, and so as he was doing that, um, he said he came across these commands that he used to give a tithe. He used to give 10% of his income. And he said, I never did that before. Not in my whole life did I give. Not that kind of money. And so he said, I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't a member of a church, I wasn't a member of a synagogue, I wasn't a member of any religion because I really wasn't sure that God exists. So he said, I just decided I would give to a charitable organization or organizations and I would do that online because he wasn't going to any meetings or anything and any kind of thing like that. And so that's what he began to do. And he said that, uh, he said this, I'll just read what he said. he said. He said, when the confirmation emails ping in, he's given online and he, now he's getting a response electronically on his phone or his computer, is pinging in. He said, when they ping in, I feel good. There's, this, uh, there's this, this daunting line from the field, Chariots of Fire. Some of you remember that movie, uh, Chariots of Fire. It's a true story. Uh, it's about Eric Little uh, and uh, he was a... a an Olympic class runner from England, uh, came out back in the, I think in the 80s, 1980s, something like that. And um, so he, he references that. He says, uh, it's spoken by Eric Little, the most religious runner, the one who carries a Bible with him during his sprint. He says, when I run, this is Eric Little speaking, when I run, I feel his pleasure, talking about God's pleasure. And this is now what A.J. What Jacob said. He said, I know I'm agnostic, but still... I feel his pleasure. When he started giving, he said, I feel his pleasure. He said, it's a warm ember that starts at the back of my neck and spreads through my skull. It's like I'm doing something I should have been doing all my life. Now, I don't know if any of you have that feeling that goes from behind your head right through your skull, but you know what it is to feel good to feel God's pleasure when you give. And so even an agnostic says, you know what? I feel God's pleasure when I give. And by the way, um, that little 
on the right, I know it's really hard to read. It was, it's hard for me to read even from here. But uh, one of the things that he says on there, those were his TED Talks. has some TED Talk screenshots of uh, what he would talk about. And if you don't know what a TED Talk is, don't worry. It doesn't matter for you. If you don't know, it's okay. But um, as he was sharing what was going on in that year, and one of the things that he said was that it was the smallest sins that were the hardest to deal with. Here's a guy who isn't saved, who doesn't even believe there's a God, but he's saying, you know, I could give up the big things, but boy, it was those little ones that just beat me down. Of course, you never feel that way, right? You know, thou shalt not kill. Okay, God, I'll give that one up. (laughs) I won't commit adultery. Okay, I won't do that. But there's a whole bunch of little ones that are, that are, we just say, okay, God, but I don't want to give that one up. And so even a guy who wasn't saved understood after a year trying to do that, that that was really hard to do. And so, uh, again, you know, in the, in the, in the preceding chapter, uh, in, in, in chapter 2 of uh, uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul commends the church uh, in Macedonia for their generosity. He said, you are a generous group of people as he's, as he's talking to that church and those churches in Macedonia for the generosity. He says in, in chapter 8, verses 2 through 4, 2 Corinthians, uh, he says this, um, they're being tested by many troubles. They're very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could, not, what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. That's just an example of a church, of a people of God who, who were generous just for the sake of being generous. That was the only reason they were. Um, there's something about giving that draws you closer to God. And the more generous you are, we find it easier to be close to him. And when you give, you feel his pleasure. That's why Paul says, give generously. Secondly, he says, give thoughtfully. Not only generously, but thoughtfully when you think about how to give. Verse 7, he says here in 2 Corinthians 9, you must each decide in your hearts how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. You might underline, you must decide in your heart how much to give. In other words, what you give and how much you give is a matter between you and God, and it's not anyone else's business. It is not anyone else's business. Barbara came across something the other day, and, and, and she's not here right now. She's not feeling well this morning. And full disclosure... I'm preaching on giving today without a check to give. I realized it when I drove in the parking lot. Oh, Barbara's not coming this morning. She's sick. Guess who brings the check with them on Sunday morning? Guess who writes the check out in our household and puts it in an envelope while they're still in our bedroom on Sunday morning? Guess who didn't get up this morning? to do that. I'm not check worth, book worthy in our household. <laughs> I know we have one, but it's hidden from me. In the bowels of her purse, 
to which I'm never allowed to go to. <laughs> and so, if she ever dies before me, I'm going to starve to death. <laughs> because I'm not allowed in the bowels of her purse. And I'll, say, I'll, I'll tell people at the grocery store, I'm sorry, I would like groceries, but I, it's in the bowels of my wife's purse, and I don't get to go there. And I'll just starve to death. And so, I'm going to be one of those people who will come in, like tomorrow, and put our offering in the box outside of the office door because I don't have anything to give right now. But we have to decide on what we're going to give. And so it's a matter between you and God. And back to what I was going to say, I got sidetracked there in that little rabbit hole, but Barb said, you know, I saw this on Facebook, I think, uh, she said, uh, about a, a church, it was an evangelical church, that that sends a bill to their members for how much they're to give. And I said, you're not sure you're talking about an LDS church? And she said, no, this was an evangelical church. She said, we don't do that, do we? Of course we don't do that. First of all, I don't know how much you make, and it's between you and God how much you give, according to Scripture. And so that's not the, that's not the issue and, and some of you ask, but aren't we supposed to tithe? And, and yes, that's a guideline, and we're going to talk about that in just a few moments here. But for now, I want you to look at, at Paul's words. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And you can underline that. You must each decide in your heart how much you to give. Now, there's something interesting about that, those words of Paul. Because it is a command. You must decide. You are to do that. How much should it give? But there's something different about that than pretty much every other command of things that we're supposed to do. For example, I don't think anywhere in the Bible it says that, that each, let each man decide how often he should tell the truth. Let each man decide if he should love his neighbor. Let each man decide if he should be faithful to his wife. Let each man decide if he should refrain from stealing, and on and on and on and on. You could go through all that list of things that were commanded not to do or to do, and you're never told, you decide it. But in this one area, in the area of your personal giving, in the offering that you will bring, you are commanded to decide in your heart how much that should be what you should be giving. And these are matters uh, that are, you know, these other things I mentioned, they're matters of absolute certainty. Uh, the subject of giving is different. It's personal. It's between you and it is between your family, uh, if you're married, uh, and, and it's between you and God alone. And it's something you decide in your heart. And, and, and uh, you just cannot be compelled by a church to give. That is not in our realm that we're, we're supposed to do. And we don't try to do that for any of you. Paul says, let each man give when he, what he's decided in his heart to give. He's also saying that our giving should be deliberate and systematic. It should be deliberate and systematic. It means that, is that, that it's, it's not just based on your emotion at the moment. Is not based on your feelings uh, or a whim. You give because you feel like giving. That means that during the week, you are to be thinking about and praying about how much you should give 
on Sunday when we come together or during the week if you give online uh, and that's perfectly fine but before you give there's that time when you should give thought to that you should give cognitive thought you're spending time talking to God about it talking to your spouse about it saying what do you believe that we ought to be giving what can we give what should we be giving so that there is thought it is not just that it is by rote so, well, I always give this much, and so I just write that on the check. Or I always give this much, so I just set it up to automatically give. There ought to be some thought every week. Paul says, before Sunday cometh, you ought to be thinkingeth how much you're going to give and what you're going to be giving. And, and that's, that's, that's the biblical determination. And so if you think that you can get through without thinking, you've got another think coming. You need to be giving if you're going to do what Paul says that we ought to do. Um, you give because you determine the right amount to give, and you give independent of how you feel when the moment to give arrives. That's why Paul says this in, in, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. He says, when you are going through your week, you set that money aside for Sunday. To give as you believe God is calling you to give. So he says, I want you to give. I want you to give. Um, I want you to give generously. I want you to give thoughtfully. And on the how-to, he says, I want you to give cheerfully. I want you to give cheerfully. Verse 7 here, our, our second verse of our key passage, 2 Corinthians 9 says this, You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. There's a story told of a member who came up to his pastor after church after he'd been preaching on that very verse, and he said to his pastor, he said, he said well, I'll tell you what. He said, I can give generously, or I can give cheerfully, but I can't do both at the same time, so don't expect me to do it. Now, I, I hope that he was being facetious, but there are certainly people who live that way, to say, if I'm going to be cheerful about it, then don't expect me to be generous. And if I'm going to be generous, don't expect me to be happy about that. And yet, that's what we're called to do. That we're to do both. Um, and, and unfortunately, there are some who would say, you know what, I can give. I can give generously. And, and so, when I do, I'm going to tell you, church, okay, I've done my part, now leave me alone. Or there are those few who will say, okay, I've given to you, now you owe me. I gave, now what's the church going to do for me? Friends, that isn't a cheerful gift. That's more of a reluctant loan. Paul says we're to give cheerfully. We're to give with a cheerful heart. How do you do that? How do you give with a cheerful heart? You begin to think about what that offering is going to do. For the lives it's going to touch, for the, the changes it's going to make in people's physical lives, their emotional lives, in their spiritual lives, for people who, are going to, who were dead in their sins are going to come to life because they've trusted Jesus Christ, because for the first time they heard there was a Jesus. 
There was a God who loves them and who gave their son, his son for them. And now they are able to believe and now they are able to live for eternity. And you begin to think about that and you begin to understand what God is doing. And all of a sudden that reluctance goes away and that cheerfulness replaces it. And so he says, I want you to give cheerfully. So why are we going to give? If we're to give generously and thoughtfully and cheerfully, why do we do this though? What does it come down to? Uh, what is the reasons for giving? And I want you to see three that are mentioned here in today's passage. First of all, give out of gratitude to God. We give because it is showing gratitude to God. And so we're showing him that gratitude. Uh, we talk a lot about how, how to, if you give now, God will bless you later. And that's certainly true. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's biblical. But I want you to understand that giving is not just an investment in the future. It is also a payment for the past. You say, I didn't know I owed a payment. Well, there is a payment that, that is made in the past. In the Psalms, David said this. King David said this in Psalm 116, verse 12. He said, what can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? What can I offer the Lord for what he has done for me? And, and one way to repay the Lord is to bless other people financially. And so when we give financially, we are blessing others. And, um, and so that's what we're called to do. And, and so we give out of gratitude to God. Secondly, we give because you can. So give because you can. You're able to. And that's not a bad thing. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, um, Paul said this. He said, teach those who are rich in this world. And I'll just stop right there for one second. Teach those who are rich in this world. You might even want to underline those words. So what's he, who's he talking to there? Those people who are rich in this world. Because most of us would say, well, I'm not rich by Hollywood standards. And I'm not rich by Wall Street standards. And that's very true for most everybody, mostly in the sound of my voice today. But I will tell you that most of us within the sound of my voice are rich by the world's standards. That we are extremely rich compared to most people in the world. And so with that in mind, we go on. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. We are rich in this world's finances, if you will. And although we probably think we live pretty austere lives, that we, we try not to overspend and accumulate stuff, most of us have accumulated an awful lot of stuff. When you think about it, We switched out coffee pots at our house, which is interesting because I stopped drinking coffee two and a half years ago. 
But we still have a coffee pot on the counter. But we switched it out. We didn't go to the store and buy one. We went out to the garage and picked up the old one and put it back there and put the new one that we had bought back in the garage. Not only do we not need two coffee pots, we don't even need one coffee pot when you get down to it. We only have that one in the house so that if someone comes to our house who drinks coffee, we can still make coffee for them to drink. Because while I'm not getting into the bowels of Barbara's purse, I am also not allowed to get into the coffee pot. (laughs) And so we have all these duplicates, redundancies in our house. What do we do about that? What can we do about that? They're not all bad. But is there something else we could do? Um, you know, there's, what, what could we do about it? Jesus talked about that in Luke chapter 3, verse 11. He said, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Now, he's not saying you have to give away half of your clothes, and he's not saying you have to give away all of your food. But there are times when we do give, and, and you are an amazing group of people. When we say we need, we need jackets for the homeless in the cold weather, you give a van full. When we say that there's people, there are people who need to eat in our community, you give away barrels full of food. That's what Jesus is talking about, saying, you know, there are some things that are redundant in your life. There are things where God has allowed you to have more than what you need, and he gave that to you, not so that you'll just have a lot, but so that you can give some of it away, so that you can bless other people. You give because you have something to give. And he says, that's what I expect you to do. And then he said, give as an act of faith. He said, give out of gratitude to God because you can give and then as an act of faith. By the way, guys who are in experiencing God this week, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. That's your memory verse, half of your memory verse that you need to be memorizing this week. But it's true for all of us, whether you're memorizing that verse or not this week. We've already talked about a couple of times the spiritual principle, the scriptural principle of giving and receiving. And the more you give to God, the more he gives to you. And these were his exact words here in verse 6 again, our key verse. Remember this, the farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but he who plants generously will get a generous crop. The more you give, the more you receive, Jesus said. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he said this, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. There are times in a believer's life when you give out of faith and when you you give out of need. You say, God, if I give this, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But I believe you're telling me to do that, and I'm going to, in faith, I'm going to give that. It's not a strategy for satisfying your greed. It's a step of faith, trusting God to supply your needs according to his riches and glory. And I believe there's times in all of our Christian lives when we ought to give something where we say, God, I am giving this, and I'm going to be completely dependent upon you when I do. 
Because many times we have enough that we can say, God, I'm, I'm pretty good right now. I don't need to depend on you. And God says, you can't glorify him. You can't please him if you're not living in faith. There was a time in our lives, Barbara and I, when we had two little girls. I was a pastor at my first church where I was the senior pastor. Um, I was the senior. I was the junior. I was the youngest. I was the oldest. It was, I was the only pastor there. And um, we, had a, we had a group of, of three, um, I think it was three um, missionary summer missionaries came in uh, to work in our churches and our association out throughout the summer mostly they did vacation bible schools helped with that they helped us that year and they were right at the end of their with the last church they were going to be helping before they went back to college wherever they were from in other states and I knew our churches by that time. I knew that I knew probably what they were given. They weren't given much. They basically were given a stipend that would that would was not going to help them to stay alive. Uh, the churches were housing them and hopefully feeding them, but they were getting a lot of peanut butter sandwiches throughout the summer. And God just spoke to Barb and I, and and He said, "I want you to make sure that they're well taken care of this week, and especially at the end." He said, "I want you to take them out to a really nice dinner." Taking them out to a very nice dinner meant that we were going to spend all of our grocery money for the next two weeks. Because we didn't make very much money and we didn't have anything in the bank account really to speak of. But we said, God, you tell us to do it, we're going to do that. And so we took them out to that nice dinner and then we, we sent them off on their way back home. Two days later, there was a, there was a call from from friends of ours from Southern California. We were, in, we were up in French camp at that point in Central California, but a, the, the church secretary where I'd been a youth pastor there full-time for five years, her husband uh, and her were driving through the state. They were coming by and they said, we're gonna stop tomorrow at your house, is that okay? We said, yeah, we'd love to see you. And so, so they showed up at our door. They came in not with their suitcases, they came in with bags of groceries. They had stopped at the Air Force base. He was retired Air Force. They had stopped at the commissary. And they said, God just told us to stop and get you a bunch of groceries. And so we did. And they walked in with more groceries than we could have bought with the money that we spent to send these kids to a nice dinner. You give out of faith. You say, God, I don't know how this is going to work, but... But that's what faith is. Faith says, I don't know how it's going to work, God, but I'm going to trust you because you're trustworthy. And so he says, I want you to give. I want you to give out of that faith. I want you to do it as an act of faith. Uh, Malachi 3.10 says this, bring the, all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. There are times when we need to say, okay, God, I'm going to take this Pepsi challenge, if you will. I'm going to take this, this, this tithe challenge. I'm going to give to you all of the tithe and then trust you. And he said, go ahead and do it and see if I fail. And he won't. And so he says, I want you to do that. So you demonstrate your gratitude, you demonstrate compassion, and you demonstrate faith. So what is it that you give? What is it that you need to give at that point? 
I mentioned a while back, we're going to talk about um, how much to give, um, what's the magic number. And that's where in Christianity Today, we read that for most, most believers, it is, it is not very much. It's just two and a half percent of their, of their income uh, that they give as a tithe or they give as a gift to God because it's certainly not a tithe. Uh, it's, it's only a quarter of a tithe that they give on a regular basis. And so um, the Old Testament teaches that concept of tithing and tithing is that you give 10%, that you give 10% um, to the Lord off the top. And you say, well, does it have to be off the top or does it is off the net? As Dave Ramsey says, it doesn't matter because most of you don't do it anyway. It only matters if you do it. And so, you know, for, for most of us, uh, we believe it's off the top. And so we say, oh, here, God, this is the total we've gotten, so we're going to give you 10% of that. Um, and, I, and I know a lot of wealthy people that are wealthy because they started tithing. And they'll tell you that. Uh, they, they, they put the tithe first. Barb and I made that decision right after we got married the first week uh, before we went to church the next day. We said, you know, we're, we're married now. We ought to, we, you know, are we going to, you know, what are we going to do? And said, well, the Bible says we had to tithe, so we just said we're going to tithe. And so we've just been doing that now for, for, for those, all those years, uh, all 40, whatever of them, 47 of them, we've been doing that now. Uh, and so every week we just tithe. We just say what, we, what came in, and we give at least 10% of that. And that's been our, our, our mantra. Uh, there was a guy that came to us uh, to share with us back when I was a preacher boy uh, in college at Cal Baptist, at California Baptist College then, now university. And, and he was, he was, a, 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 he was on the, the, the board of trustees for the school, and he came and shared with all this bunch of preacher boys uh, in, a, in a class, and, and he was talking about his, his life, and, and he was not a preacher boy. Uh, he, was, he was actually a guy who owned the gas station, and he said, way back in Texas when I got out of, when I was get out of college, and, and I had a chance to start this gas station, and we were barely staying alive. We are barely keeping our heads above water, and I believed that I needed a tithe, and I started tithing, and he said, every week God met our need. And then I kept thinking, but I ought to give some more. And so, so he moved it to 11%, 12%, 13%. Eventually, he got to the point where he was giving 90% of his income to God. And by that time, he was a millionaire living off of the 10%. God can do what he wants to do. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church over in, in, in uh, California, um, wrote a book. I doubt that you've heard of it, The Purpose Driven Life. You've never heard that book before. On writing that book, he became a millionaire. Not to mention all the other books he's written. I think it was his 25th anniversary in the church. He started the church. About the 25th anniversary, somewhere around there. He wrote a check back to the church for everything the church had ever paid him in salary for the first 25 years or so. And he's never taken a penny since. Now, don't expect me to write a check. Because <laughs> I haven't written a book. And if I wrote a book, I'd have to pay you to read it. But you can't outgive God. You really can't. And so, 10% is a tithe. And that's a good target point. But I want to refer you back 
to verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I can tell you that a tithe is a biblical amount. It's an Old Testament standard. We live in the New Testament. You decide. You have to make that decision of what to give, how much to give. It's a matter between you and God. But here's a couple of ideas that might help you get to wherever it is that you think you need to be. First of all, when you decide what to give, start putting a plan together. Start putting together a plan. You're not going to get there if you don't have a plan. If you don't say, okay, this is how we're going to do that. Verse 7 again says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. So you look at your finances, you look at what you're currently giving, and you ask yourself, can I do more? Should I do more? How could I do more? Can I increase my giving 1%? Can I increase it a couple of percent? Is there excess in my life that I can trim? Um, you know, is it, is, are there unnecessary expenses I can eliminate? Uh, what can I change in order to adopt a more generous lifestyle? For all of us, there are some wriggle room in there. There's some trimming that could be done to be able to give more. And too many people get hung up in the numbers. They think their giving doesn't matter because they only have a small amount to give and that's what they can give. But I want you to listen to the words of Paul back over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. God knows how much you have. And so you don't have to give every last penny that you have unless he tells you to do that. But he says, if you don't have it, you can't give it. So what's most important is that you're willing to give what you can give right now. And if you can give right now, um, and you know in your heart that you can give, God is pleased. And so you give according to what you have because you have a plan. And then secondly, build some sacrifice into your system. As you build that plan, it becomes your system for giving, and now build some sacrifice into that. Um, and, and, you know, when writing about how much a Christian should give, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures exclude them. What is it that you would like to do that you say no to? Because I'm going to give. I'm going to give to God. I read a story about a, about a, about a man named Jimmy. And he was, he was a Christian member of his church. And he wanted to go guitar shopping. And he invited a Christian friend from their church to go with him. And they went looking at these guitars. And they came across a guitar that was almost too good and too good a deal to ignore. For those of you who play guitar, uh, it was, a, it was a, a Martin D35, and it was only $1,500. Now, to me, anything that says guitar in $1,500 is way, way, way too much. But for a Martin D35, we're talking about a really superb instrument for, th for $1,500. And his friend looked at him and said, Jimmy, you ought to buy this. This is a great deal. This is the guitar you need. 
And Jimmy looked at him and said, no, that guitar is not for me. I'm not going to spend that much. Now his friend knew that if Jimmy just didn't tithe for two weeks, he would more than pay for that guitar. But in essence, Jimmy was telling him, I'm not going to spend that much money because my tithe and what I give to God is far more important than any guitar I would ever own. That's just not in my wheelhouse to buy that. And I'm okay with that. In fact, I'm more than okay because I know I'm doing what God has asked me to do. And so we need to say, you know what? What sacrifice am I willing to make in order to become a more generous giver? What can I do? What can I give up? What can I trim? Where's the fat that could be trimmed off of my lifestyle to be able to do that? And if you can't, if you can't identify an, an area of sacrifice right now, then look for a place to begin. It may be a small sacrifice at first, but you go, it's a place to start. It's a place where you can grow. Maybe you can eliminate a few things. Maybe you can eliminate a premium channel on your television. Maybe you can cancel your health club and membership and work out at home. Maybe you pack a lunch. Or maybe you just give up lunch for a couple of days a week in order to have a little bit more to give. So you begin to put some sacrifice into your system. And then you stretch your soul every chance you get. Stretch your soul every chance you get. There's a story that was told by a Baptist pastor named R. Lee Sharp. He said one day when he was a boy, his father said, let's, come on, son, let's go. I got to pick up uh, my hoe and my, my rake at the blacksmith shop. He'd taken them there to have them some repairs made. He got there, and he said that the blacksmith gave his father the, the, the hoe and the, and the rake. They'd been fixed, and he said, how much do I owe you? And he said, no, you don't owe me anything for that job. And he said, no, I want to pay you. And he took out his wallet, and he was trying to get money out of his wallet. And, and the blacksmith looked at, at, at his father, at, 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 uh, at, at Arlie Sharp's father, and his name uh, was Sid. And the blacksmith looked at him and said, Sid, can't you ever just allow a man to do something now and then just to stretch his soul? Just to stretch his soul. Can't you just let me give this to you? Because it stretches my soul to be able to do that. Where are you stretching your soul at? Is it being stretched at all? It may not be a big thing. It may be a big thing. But where is your soul being stretched? Say, God, I want to do that. Because that's the grace of giving. That's what we're called to do. I challenge you to look every day for an opportunity to stretch just a little bit more than you're doing right now. It's been said, there are really three types of givers in this world. There are those who are flint givers, there are those who are sponge givers, and there are those who are honeycomb givers. You know, if you, get, if you want to get anything out of a flint, you know what you have to do with it? You have to pound it with a hammer. And all you get 
are a lot of chips and sparks. If you want to get anything out of a sponge, you have to take it and just wring it for everything it's worth. Just squeeze it. If you want to get anything out of a honeycomb, it just pours out. It just comes out and it just keeps coming out. What kind of giver are you? Are you like a piece of flint? We got to be hammered. Are you like a sponge where you feel like God just has to wring it out of you? Or are you like honeycomb? Where the blessing just flows out to other people and to God. That's the kind of giver I believe God wants us all to be. Generous, thoughtful, and cheerful. Those who are thankful, compassionate, and faithful. And those who are committed, sacrificial, and spontaneous. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just praise you for the gifts that you give to us, for the ways that we can share your word with others around us. Father, today we pray that you would receive our lives as a sacrificial gift to you. In response to the sacrificial gift that you gave in Jesus Christ. We pray again that if there's even one who is here today or who is hearing us online, that they need Jesus as Savior and Lord, that they need to respond in faith to Jesus Christ, that today would be that day. Today would be that day they say, yes, Lord. Yes to everything. It says, I want the whole package. I want my sins forgiven. I want a new life. I want a relationship with the God of this universe. The God who loves me, I want to know that love and I want to respond to him in love. So Father, we pray that today would be that day they make that choice. We pray for those who are, who are just struggling with the idea of generosity and this idea of being a, a giver who, who gives according to grace. Not because we're mandated, not because we're hammered to, not because we are, that we are being wrung out like a sponge, but we give because it just becomes an overflowing act of a life that is committed to Jesus Christ. Father, receive our offerings, receive our lives as an offering to you today. If we pray these things in Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen. Let's stand together. If God is speaking to you while we sing, why don't you come? If you need to speak to somebody about your salvation, you come.